Welcome to this week's edition of Coach Prep. Coach Don and I are here getting ready to record episode number 47. Today we're going to talk about teaching a skill and the progression and ways that we can do that more effectively. Before we do that, we want to talk about Cleat It Up. Cleat It Up is our presenting sponsor. Uh, they are the communication tool that you need to solve all your communication challenges within your team or organization. Also has a great social media aspect to it. Uh, you can check them out at cleatitup.com. And it's a free app for your phone and definitely something that we would recommend. Also, we want to talk about our other sponsor, which is Nexair. Nexair is a Memphis-based industrial gas, medical gas, research gas, welding supply, and safety PPE supplier. With strategically placed retail locations, sales branches, and distribution centers throughout the southeast, Nexair is never too far away. They maintain centralized product warehouses to serve you better and be more reliable. Through our services, you can receive the products you need when you need them. Our fleet of trucks will get you the gas you need when you need it. If you're interested in any Nexair product or service, or just want to talk through your options, please get in touch. Our customer care team at 888-639-2474 will help you find the branch or outside sales rep in your area. Please reach out to Nexair. They'll take care of all your needs. So Don, teaching a skill. It's one of the most fundamental things about coaching. One of the things that all coaches, I think, uh, are trying to do and are doing on an everyday basis. And I wanted us to kind of talk about some guidelines and things to help make sure that the coaches out there are effectively using their time and effort and energy and understanding exactly what it is that we're trying to do to help kids become better at playing this really challenging game. We want to build them up and, and continue to challenge them, but make sure they're ending on good notes, right? Right. Well, and I think, uh, you know, before we even get into it, you just touched on two really important pieces of this puzzle. One is building them up. Right. You know, one of the schools of thought is that uh, if we really challenge our players, if we really come after them, that that's somehow going to guarantee that they're going to improve. Elevate their game. Yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, we have to always remember is that when we're teaching kids, coaching kids, that we're not coaching many adults. Right. Whereas an adult who's already have some experiences and has some knowledge Background. and has some understanding, if you throw a challenge at them, they're going to handle it differently, probably much better comfortably, comfortably yeah. than a young player is going to. And so the idea of coaching as I'm just going to hit rockets at my shortstop until he figures out how to field them. Then they can get them. Right? Yeah. Or I'm going to, you know, throw uh, 95 mile an hour pitchers to my daughter, pitches to my daughter until she figures out how to, to hit happen. them. Yeah. I think we're, we're really heading down a dark path. No, I think that's exactly right, Tori. Having a system, right? Right. Where we can kind of go through those checkpoints. Right. Would be and, ideal. And, and we'll talk about progressions. But the other thing that you said, too, is challenging. And I think that that's the moral to the story today, that we want to talk about looking at the way we were coaching and looking at the kids that we are working with and making sure that we're accomplishing both things, that we're building them up and helping them progress and get better and better and better while still throwing some challenges at them that are going to require them to continue to progress. Do more. And, be better, and, and yeah. to want to get better. So first thing is we have to always understand that whenever we're talking about teaching a skill or, or helping a player become a better player, is that different players, different kids respond differently to ways that we instruct them. There are some kids that are visual learners. The best way for them to figure something out is to see somebody else do it. 
And in your instruction, if you can demonstrate the right way to do it or have somebody else on the team that can demonstrate the right way to do it. For some kids, that's going to be the best way for them to be introduced to a new skill. There are some kids that are audible learners that you can explain something to them and they're going to pick up on it pretty well. They're okay. visualizing it. Yeah, they, they, yep. You say it and they kind of picture it in their mind. Yep. And then there's the tactile learner. That's the person who basically has to experience it. You know, you roll them a ground ball and they, they pick one up and they like it. And then you roll them another ground ball and they don't feel it cleanly and they recognize that something wasn't right. They and then you feel do it. it. Yeah, you yeah. do it again and again and again. And eventually, you know, through the course of trial and error, they pick up on it and, and make the corrections. So one of the things that, that when we're thinking about what type of learner we're working with, what kind of kid we're working with, we have to kind of start to try to get a handle on and, and pay attention to those things. Uh, this is definitely not a one tool. I was going to say within a group, we don't have all of any of those, right? Right. You're going to have a mixed bag. And so this is not a one tool to do the job kind of thing. This is a, you need a hammer, you need a screwdriver, you need a wrench. Uh, you need a pry bar. You need all kinds of different tools to, to get done what it is that you're trying to get done. And so we have to start to recognize that each of these players has different strengths and weaknesses, different things that are going to work. If my style of coaching is, I say it, you do it, I'm missing out on some of the players on my team. If my style of coaching is, I show it, you do it, we're missing out on some of those kids. So we've got to make sure that we're aware of that as we as we venture into this, because if our goal is to make all the players on our team better, we've got to come up with strategies that are going to help all our kids. Nice. And one of the things I see all the time that drives me crazy in the in the coaching world, and it's uh, at all different levels, is the talk it to death style of coaching. We somebody's supposed to have the stopwatch, right? Yeah, and we've, yeah. we've talked about that already. That talking is not teaching, and explaining is not necessarily coaching. Now, there's a point in a time where some explanation and some talking is always going to have some value. But there's that old Chinese proverb, if I hear it, I forget it. If I see it, I remember it. If I do it, I learn it. Right. Kind of falls into the three types of learners that we have. The idea that if I hear it, I'm likely to forget it should tell all of our coaches that think a lot of talking is a great way to get your point across is probably maybe not as effective as it could be. No, and again, I think the uh, you mentioned at the beginning the age difference, right? Right. Every, everybody's at a different stage and have different experiences. So the young ones that we're talking about today, they need to do all three of those. Right. Yeah. And each coach has to be prepared to offer all those different options. So if I hear it, I forget it. We know that just talking about it is only going to reach a small percentage of the players that we're working with. If I see it, I remember it. Well, that's a, a really positive step in the right direction. So that's where we're talking about those kids that if you can demonstrate it, if you can have somebody that demonstrates it well on your team, then that's a really good step in the next direction. And then the final piece is after we've talked about it, after we've demonstrated it, now we have to do it. If I do it, I'll learn it. Right. And so that's that kid that's going to have that trial and error, going to sort some stuff out for themselves. And one of the things that is so missing, in my opinion, in the in the modern game of fast pitch that is so different than when we grew up. We used to, you know, figure out any which way we could to play baseball. And if it was, you know, three of us in the alley, we'd do pickle in the middle. If it was you know, two of us, uh, we'd do burnout against the side of the Dunkin' Donuts. If it was four of us, we'd play alley baseball where we had to learn to hit the ball right back up the middle because if you pulled it 
or fouled it off or went to the wrong yard, you never got your ball back. We just have first base and home. Yeah. Just got to get the first and get home. Yeah. We'd play wiffle ball where the way that you made outs was hitting the person with the ball and you'd figure out all kinds of crazy ways to throw the ball at different arm angles and different positions and different things because you only had one shot at it. If you didn't, you know, if you didn't uh, hit them with the wiffle ball on the first try, you weren't going to get a second chance. So we would learn how to make stuff up. And so I think for our kids now, as we're working with them in a practice setting, is we know they're not going to have the opportunities to learn as much of this stuff on their own as we used to. So now we've got to make sure that we offer a varied variety pack of options and how we're teaching the same basic ideas, same basic skills and practice. Trying to visualize how it would go if we tried to teach our kids some of these games we played, Tori. Yeah, well... (laughs) Then you throw it at them and you hit them in the ribs and... Quick, quick side story. Um, many years ago, I kind of stumbled across this idea that I wished that more of the players I was coaching at the college level had had more of this free play, just figure out how to make it up attitude growing up. And so one day I just gave them a challenge. I told them they had to invent a game. It could use softball equipment, but it couldn't be softball rules. It had to be right. something different. Ultimately, what came out of that was a game that we ended up calling Crazy Light Flight, Okay, which was... 360 degree softball. So you could, we played it with a light flight ball. You couldn't use gloves and you could hit it anywhere, anywhere. There was no foul line. So you could hit it straight back so over home, the backstop. Played as the center. Yeah. And set, yeah. So sort of like cricket where you have to play the 360 degree field. Yeah. And you got a point for every base that you got to. And whenever you were out, you just got off the bases. There was no staying on base so that the next person could drive you in or whatever. So if I hit the ball far enough, I could go around the bases once. I could go around the bases twice. I could go around the bases three times. If I go around the bases three times, that was 12 points. What they ended up figuring out was that if they could hit the ball on top of the press box, the team on defense would have to figure out how to go get the ladder get on the ladder, <laughs> climb up on the roof, get the ball, and throw it down. And then the way that you made it out is, let's say, thinking about like real softball, if I hit a ground ball to the shortstop and you beat me to first with the ball, I'm out at first. Well, in crazy light flight, after I've been running around the bases, if the ball gets to the next base before I get there, I'm you. out. That stops me. Okay. And then I get off the bases and whatever, however many points I've scored is how many points I scored. Well, when they first start playing it, they get greedy and they think that, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this spectacular play and get you out before you get to first base. But it's like a bang, bang plane. If we don't get it or we throw the ball away, all of a sudden you keep running. Sure. So eventually they start to figure out, well, a better strategy is after we get the ball off to the top of the press box is to throw it safely one or two bases ahead. So even though we give you one more point, we just stop. Them. We stop you. They ended up learning strategy from it. And it was kind of fun to see that all evolve it. And it was uh, also fun because with the light flight ball, they had to still work on some skills, you know, because catching it when it's thrown really hard requires you to have soft hands and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of an interesting experiment. It ended up being something that would end up becoming a staple that the kids really enjoyed. At least once or twice a year, we'd play crazy light flight. I like it. Um, so okay. that was ex- ex- encouraging to see that kids could figure some of that stuff out on their own. So they hadn't totally lost the ability. I'm thinking uh, setting something up like that out in the middle of a football field. Right. That would be or fun. 
really anywhere. Yeah. I mean, and, and if you can find some little nooks and crannies and things like that that you can take advantage of, you can have a whole lot of strategy going on. And likely you uh, stumbled upon new rules as you were playing. Right. Like, no, we need a new rule. Yeah. Well, and it would be funny because you'd have the yeah. one player that just couldn't wrap their head around the fact that they didn't have to hit it in fair territory. So they would hit a screamer to left field and get a single. So they'd get one point. Yeah. Then the next person would figure out, well, but if I hit it over the fence in foul territory, they've got to go get it. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden the team on defense would figure out, whoa, wait a second, we better put somebody in foul territory because they're going to hit it over there. Right out everywhere. Oh, yeah, everywhere. So you'd have, you know, and of course with a college roster, you got 20 kids. So we'd have 10 kids on each team. But you'd have three kids on the field so somebody could tag the bases. You'd have somebody by the concession stand. You'd have somebody, you know, in by the batting cage. You'd have yeah, somebody, side right, side you know, line. Yeah, yeah. somebody looking for the key to the uh, equipment shed so they could get the ladder out because they knew eventually somebody was going to hit a ball on top of the press box or whatever it was. And so it was just kind of a fun thing. And so to kind of get back to our idea of teaching a skill, if there's opportunities like that where we can kind of put the kids in charge of some things and let them learn some things on their own, figure some things out on their own, I think that's the greatest learning experience we can possibly have. Well, and and thinking back to things like that, Tori, too, anticipating and planning or watching ahead or making a throw to something that's on the run, and all those skills are all important in, right. in, the, in the end game here. It was just fun to see. So yeah. coaches, there's nothing wrong with you throwing that kind of a challenge out there or asking your kids to improvise a little bit. But so now back to our basic idea of how do we teach a skill. Right. So we have to start to think about, you know, once we've understood that we've got different kinds of learners, now we've got to understand that we've got to build building blocks. Just like we're building a house, we have to start off with, you know, we, we dig the hole, then we pour the foundation, then we lay the first row of blocks, then we build the frame, you know, then we put up the drywall, you know, then we put on the trim. I mean, it all happens in order. Things have to happen in order. We have two schools of thought. I, I need to teach you how to hit, how to feel the ground ball. So I can take you out there and start hitting 500 mile an hour line drives at you and hope that you figure it out on your own before I kill you. Side to side. Yeah. yeah. Or we can start off with a quick little explanation and demonstration. Well, here's a really good fielding position. Here's how you move to get ready. Here's a slow rolling safety ball that's not going to hurt you no matter what. Here's a faster rolling ball that you can feel. So now we're going to move to a real softball instead of the safety ball. So now I'm going to back up and I'm going to throw it a little bit harder. And now I'm going to back up a little bit further. I'm going to hit it to you softly. Now I'm going to back up a little bit further and I'm going to hit it to you firmly. Now we've gotten to the point where I can start hitting it side to side and challenging you with balls that you have to do different things. Then the next day, maybe we come back and we re review all those things, make sure we go through that same list, all those same progressions. Maybe we don't have to spend quite as much time on it because we're more familiar. So instead of the whole process of getting to feel the hard hit ground ball taking 45 minutes, now maybe it takes 10 minutes. And then that next thing is, so now we're adding a forehand, backhand. Maybe we get to the point where we add a drop step. Maybe we get to the point where we add charging the ball. You know, and, and we're going to have a plan in mind. We're going to keep working through those progressions. So from the most fundamental, absolute basic piece of the puzzle, all the way through until the puzzle's complete. And in thinking about all those things, Tori, in, in the beginning, we want a lot of success. In the middle, we maybe want to make it difficult to where the next challenge is to get a little bit further, to get a little bit harder, to get a little bit quicker. 
and then in the end to finish with success again, right? Right. One of the things I learned as a young coach that I didn't even realize was, you know, different teaching techniques. And uh, Sharon Drysdale, who was the coach at Northwestern Hall of Famer, uh, was speaking at a coaching clinic. And I finally got up the nerve. You know, I was you know a young, dumb college coach who didn't know much. And I finally got up the nerve to, to ask her a question. And the first thing she said to me, she looked right at me, well, well, what teaching style are you using? And I kind of must have had this like dumb look on my face. Like, well, and then she started going to that she believed in using the whole part, whole teaching method. And I'm like, okay, could you explain that to me? And so she started to explain it. Well, I start off, I make sure that all my players can see what it's supposed to look like, what the whole skill should be. So I'll have a senior or a veteran player or an assistant coach demonstrate what it should look like when it's done right. And then we go back and we break it down and we go through the progression like we just talked about helping a young player. So now she was dealing with really skilled college players, so they might not have to go all the way back to rolling it slowly on the ground to make sure that you're not afraid of it. But whatever that level was, and then start the building blocks slowly but surely, adding the pieces, adding the pieces, all the parts, to the point where that player was then confident that they could do the whole thing. So we would demonstrate the whole, do all the parts to get to being able to execute the whole process, the whole skill. It was like a lightning bolt. It hit me. It's like, because I think I had probably been the coach of, I'm just going to hit it hard and you'll figure it out. Right. And I was like, whoa, wait a second, dummy. That's not working so good, is it? And I think it's important that we you know, understand that when it comes to teaching kids how to play this game, there's so many things going on that you know we've got to be adaptable. We've got to be willing to learn. We've got to be flexible enough to look at the fact that every kid is different. And if we want them all to be successful, we're going to have to have a lot of tools in the toolbox. No, I like it. Again, to create that challenging environment is exciting for them to grow, but to end on a good one. Your point at the beginning, if we start off and it's too challenging, they're not going to stick with it. If I take a eight-year-old out there who barely knows how to feel the ground ball and I start smoking balls at her, all that's going to end up happening is she's going to get drilled. She's going to get scared. And she's going to spend the rest of her life fielding the ball with her head turned sideways, praying that it doesn't hit her. Olay. Something as simple as fear of the ball is an amazing thing that if we do things incorrectly, if we do things poorly as a coach, especially with young players, we can set a kid up for a nightmare of a career because a hard ball hitting me in the body hurts. A hard ball hitting a young player in the body at a high rate of speed hurts to the point where it might scar them, not, not physically scar yeah. them, but mentally scar them to the point where they're afraid of playing the game. They're afraid of you know fielding a ground ball. They're afraid of sliding. They're afraid of whatever it might be that could be causing that potential injury. How about even dreading going to practice? Right. So we want to make sure that for our coaching friends, we're starting to look at it thinking about how are we going to follow a progression? How are we going to set up a system where we are helping all our players get better across the spectrum of wherever kind of learner they are, whatever kind of skill level they have? Because it's real easy to think that everybody's going to be as as good as my best player. I like that we're thinking through this, Tori. I like it. Obviously, there's a lot of more science behind it that we can get into in in a short little discussion today. But the biggest challenge is for our coaches, make sure that we're looking at the circumstances that we're in and make sure that we're teaching skills in an effective way so that we get out of it what we want. We want the kids to get better at this game. And again, it's going to be different for different levels. If you're coaching the very littlest of kids, it's going to be a whole lot of rolling balls and safety balls and tennis balls. And if you get three in a row, you get a popsicle kind of things. 
And if you're working with more advanced kids, it still might start off with rolling the ball slowly until they figure out the skill. They'll probably pick it up faster. You can probably move to more uh, challenging things quicker. But if I'm trying to teach a kid how to backhand a ball to, or to get better at fielding a backhand, and the first thing I do is go out there and scorch when she tries to backhand it, it takes a bad hop and drills her. Chances are she's never going to backhand another ball. I don't care how old she is. Right. <laughs> so, so we got to make sure that we're thinking it through and, and doing a good job. That's going to wrap up episode number 47 of Coach Prep. As always, please check out our sponsors, Clean It Up at cleanitup.com and Next Air. Uh, we appreciate their support. Uh, please check out our Patreon page. We are looking for patrons, people to help support everything fast pitch and coach prep. If you check out patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, You'll go right to our page and then you can make a donation. Uh, there's three different levels and we would really appreciate your support because Coach Don and I love doing everything fast, which we love doing coach prep, but we've kind of hit a point where we need to get some support from the people that are listening to us on a, on a regular basis. So Don, anything else for episode 47? Nope. Have a good week. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori and thanks for listening to episode number 47 and we'll talk to you again next week. 